we've been talking about detoxing your life. And, uh, you know, I'm like you, most of you. I've been raised in Louisiana. And uh, whether it was our football team or our politics or our economy, uh, Louisiana has just been a, you know, it, for many years, Louisiana was at the very bottom of all the good things and Mississippi and the very top of all the bad things. And uh, so Louisiana had a tradition of depression, a tradition of being mocked. Uh, you know, we had good food, we had good music, but most of it was just people trying to get through, right? And, you know, you, you live in this environment, uh, even it's in your name, Louisiana. Lose is part of your uh, name of your state. <laughs> And if you're going to serve God, you're going to have to learn how to conquer and how to overcome. And so uh, there's a lot of toxic things that we contend with in this state and in our lives. But depression, heaviness, crippling sadness, many people suffer in silence dealing with these things. And today we're going to learn how to overcome it. How do you want to learn how to overcome that? Right, you're going to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. You're about to enter into a different kind of life where you're not constantly drained down by the sadness all around you and the sadness in your own life. I was, um, um, you know, we, uh, in our life we passed through some difficult things. And one of the times in my life I was passed through something really terrible, uh, difficult, super t- difficult. I was asked, I was in Colombia, and there was about 15,000 people there uh, and they were, they were streaming this live all over the world to hundreds of thousands of people. And I got a message from the pastor there. He said, listen, we want you to speak about five minutes about revival in your city. And I was like, I can do that in less than five minutes. <laughs> it's a joke. Five minutes, less than five. Because there really was nothing that happening at that time. And uh, so I really worked hard, and I, and I studied to try to get a little message for five minutes. And I was going to talk about revival in America, but I wasn't feeling it. And then I was backstage, and I was, like, noticing that two other guys were there. They were also studying. Then I realized they were preachers, friends of mine. Each one of them had churches. And one had a church of 10,000 people and was feeding 10,000 hungry people a day in South Africa. And the other guy was running this huge ministry that was worldwide in the Philippines. And then there was me from Hammond, Louisiana. And I was starting to feel bad about this. Like I'm getting a very bad feeling. <laughs> and so you can imagine I'm backstage, you hear people there, ah! you hear a giant crowd out there and you realize this is worldwide. I'm about to go out. This is not going to be a preaching. This is going to be some kind of a question and answer panel. And I'm like, I mean, I knew what was going on. I was like, oh my gosh. And panic gripped me. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I couldn't see straight. I couldn't think straight because I knew I was like a, a man facing the death penalty. I was just waiting to go out to the guillotine. And I was thinking, man, I am going to crash and burn. I don't know what to do because I just felt at that point, you know, uh, I, I just felt so uh, inadequate. And so, like, what in the world? Who am I to even be on the stage with these guys in front of all these people? What, is, what can I say? And I was like, just, you know. You ever been one of those moments you're just super scared? Like, you just no way out of this? Like, going to the dentist's office only 10 times worse? And you're like, ah. And then the Holy Spirit came to me and said, Bray, I want you to listen to me. And I was listening because I was desperate. He said, listen to me. (laughs) 
I'll try not to cry about it. You know, when God speaks to you, you can still remember, think about it, it's still emotional, right? I remember that because it was saving my life. And he spoke to me and said, Bray, you had every right to be on that stage. I'm like, what? He said, you have every, and I want you to stand up, and I want you to put your head up and your shoulders back, and I'll remember that those guys have not passed through what you passed through, and you're still standing, and there's a lot of people that need to hear what you're about to say. You know, when you're desperate, all you need is one word. <laughs> I wasn't even wondering if it was from the Lord. I was like, that's the Lord. I'm holding it. That's all I had. So I was holding on to it. So I got in line. And I realized what was going to happen. I looked at the stage. There were three seats and the pastor's seat. It was going to be just what I thought, a questionnaire. And so I went on the stage. And, and I, the, the other two guys, because they would not been around as long as me, I guess. But they took the far seats and left me sitting right next to the pastor. I said, oh, great. It's going to be perfect. So I sat there thinking, this is a ridiculous moment in my life, but I'm going to just do what I can do. And so he asked the person on the end, tell us about what's going on. And they're like, oh, yeah, thousands of people are getting saved. It's awesome. You know, everything's great, and we're changing the whole world. And I was like, woo, everybody's clapping. I was like, thanks for sharing, bro. So then it got to the next guy, and he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. We've seen nothing but revival. God is moving, and I'm awesome, and, and everybody with me is awesome. And I was thinking, okay, can this be over now? Can we somehow run out of time? And then, of course, it came my time, and they handed me the mic. And I'm looking there at my pastor, Pastor Caesar. He looked at me and said, so. Now, that really, the whole world's watching. So. And I'm smiling. He said, so tell me, you've been through a lot of difficult things in your life, haven't you? I said, yep. <laughs> and he said, well, tell me, Pastor Bray, how is it that you never get sad when you're going through all those things? And I was like, the answer, the answer, the answer. <laughs> I said, yeah, well, first of all, the answer is this. You told me, he's my pastor, he's, you told me I can't get depressed. So I just accepted that as from the Lord. <laughs> Number one, you said I couldn't, so I just don't. And I said, the other thing is I remember that God promised me that no matter what I'm going through, I'm going to get to the other side of it. I'm going to be better on the other side of it. I'm confident that God's in charge of this thing, and God's bringing me to something greater. And at that moment, you know, it was a, of course, I was thank God I got through it. But, I, but it reminded me what true uh, greatness in the eyes of God is not what you go through, it's how you go through it. And it's the kind of uh, conviction you have. Is all that stuff that you believe, is it still true when you go through something? Is all that stuff that you quote, and it, but when things are not working out the way you wanted it, are you still that same guy when you're having to walk through it? In God's eyes, that's what makes you a great champion. You're not a great champion when everything's going well. You know, in my whole life... Uh, since I've been, uh, you know, I was, I was the first boy in my family, and I was talented, and, you know, when I was in high school, you know, girls and all music and all that, everybody thought I was wonderful. I was the Wizard of Oz in the play, The Wizard of Oz. Come on, somebody. I'm giving out autographs after church. I was the, uh, I had a satin, gold satin outfit. This is my life, and my sisters all thought I was great. My mom thought I was great. What a rude awakening. You know, then I started playing music and, uh, you know, traveling, playing music. Everybody thought it was great. And then suddenly I started a church. Hello. And everything went so great. You know, everything, all, I saw these pastors all beat up and upset and quitting and committing suicide. 
And I thought, what's their problem? Because, look, everything was easy. Man. Bam, bam, bam. Everything is going great for me, you know. And, and it was just like I became a great man of faith because things went so well for me. Because it's easy to be a great man of faith when everything goes well. Come on, somebody. When you kind of like have a silver spoon in your mouth and you're the fa favorite, everybody's class favorite. Look at my high school annual. I am the class favorite. And the time I wasn't, it was cheating. <laughs> but I found it different that when you pass through something, we're going to find out something about you. It's much better to go into something where things are not what they should be and something inside of you overcomes what is and becomes what's going to be. Do you get what I'm saying? It's much different when everything's going great and you just agree with how great things are. It's something else when things are not going great, but something inside of you rises up and says, I don't care what it looks like right now. We're about to overcome whatever it is. And when you pass through something successfully, that's what you have. It's not your environment telling you you're great or telling you that God is faithful. It's something inside of you telling you God is awesome and that God is faithful. And there's nothing that can destroy you, nothing that can overcome you, nothing that can stop what's inside of you. Put your hand on your belly and say, what's inside of me is what overcomes the world. It's not my circumstances. It's what's inside of me. See, in, in Christ, you are self-contained. It doesn't matter about your circumstances. It's what's inside you. That's the overcoming. That has the power to change whatever your situation is. It's what's inside of you. And that can only be formed through trouble and through difficulty. So when I talk about uh, conquering depression, I know what I'm talking about. Today we're going to talk about banning extreme thoughts of heaviness, depression, self-destruction, and suicide. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 says this. The weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of flesh and blood. Our weapons are divinely powerful for the destruction of, of fortresses. We are destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted proud thing that sets itself against the true knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the purpose and the obedience of Christ. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, let your word revolutionize our life today. In the mighty name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. amen. Well, let me just read you. Uh, I've been, last couple of weeks I read this. I want to read it again. We've been talking about your thoughts effect on your body. Remember that 75 to 95% of all illnesses are psychosomatic, meaning your mind's effect on your body. So if you get your mind right, you're going to end up healthy. If you get your mind right, you're going to have a healthy, happy life. But you, it's not your, your husband, your kids, the Democrats, the Republicans, your life has to do with what goes on inside of here. You cannot control the atmosphere out here, but you can control the atmosphere in here, right? What you think, you can't control what happens, but you can control what you think about what happens. So uh, this, uh, Carolyn Leaf has this Switch on Your Brain book, and this is an excerpt from it. I'm reading it again because it's so powerful. Research shows that DNA actually changes shape according to our thoughts. As you think those negative thoughts about the future, that toxic thinking will change your brain wiring in a negative direction and throw your mind and body into stress. Wow. In other words, the way you think can change your DNA. So if you want to change your DNA, how this thing comes out, how you feel, how you look, how you live, 
it all has to do with you deciding how you think. The Bible doesn't say that God is going to renew your mind. You have to renew your mind. God will let you stay in the mud hole if you want to stay there. God will let you stay in self-pity if you want to live there. God will let you stay in defeat if you want to live there. You're the one that's got to get up and say, I'm not living like this. Depression is a habit. And I'm not being ugly because I know people are sensitive, but I'm going to tell you the truth. God can get people out of depression, and then they can start thinking the same old way and go back in the same old mud hole. Now, listen, this time when God gets you out, stay out. Don't have one of those days, well, I'm just going to start thinking sad. Stop it. Learn to take those thoughts captive. I mean, arrest those thoughts and say, I'm going to take you to the obedience of Christ. I don't have any right to think a depressing thought. Brother, I can't even believe you said I said it. I lived it. Because those thoughts are like a slippery slope. You want to go back in that ditch where you came out of? Start thinking those sad thoughts again. You'll be right back where you started. You got to make up your mind. This is, I'm fixing my mind on the blessings and the promises of God. And I'm not going to allow a moment of being sad. I'm not going to allow a moment of being defeated. I'm not going to allow a moment of questioning God. I've made up my mind. I'm going to believe what he said about my life. And that's going to be the end of it. The negative effect of extended sadness and depression on the body. I read this. This is out of a medical this is science. This is not just preaching. This is science. This is what being depressed does to your body. I'll just give you a little list of a couple of things you might want to avoid. Because I can say the benefits of not being depressed are the opposite of this. Let me just give you a little list. Here they are. Insomnia. Depressed people can't sleep. Trouble with memory are decisions. Do you know they said, I was reading, they said that many people mistake depression for old age. They just think, well, I guess I'm getting older. No, you're getting depressed. It's different. You know, when you start losing your memory, you can't sleep. Well, I guess I'm, you know, I guess it's when I get up to pee at night and I just can't go back to sleep. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. But the truth is many people excuse depression because they, they, they say, oh, I'm getting old. It's not old, it's sad. Preoccupation with death. Fear of being separated or clinginess. Risk of heart attack much higher when people are depressed. And after they've had a heart attack, high risk of depression. Constricted blood vessels. Weight fluctuations. I won't say anything about that. <laughs> Increased pain sensitivity. Do you know when people are depressed, things hurt more and they can take medicine, they still can't quit hurting. Depression hurts. It hurts. And in your, your sensitivity to everything, to other people's voices, to situations, to any kind of little thing that you experience, everything hurts more when you're depressed. Fatigue. Sadness and depression will wear you out quicker than any other thought. Fear is one of the worst. But sadness and depression is that like plugging yourself into a dead drain. That thought that makes you so sad, when you plug into it, all your energy goes. And suddenly you wonder, like, what's wrong? Is it the atmosphere? Is it the heat? No, it's your thinking. Headaches. Inability to concentrate. Weakened immune system, which means infection and disease. When you are depressed, you are weakening your own protection of your body, and you're more susceptible to get a disease or an infection. Lower interest in romance. That's bad. Really bad. Keep moving on. <laughs> Self-destructive behavior. 
things like smoking and drinking and drugs, the, people think, I, I just can't quit. You just, what, what you can't quit, you can't quit thinking wrong. If you can start thinking right, you can throw that stuff away. But if you're thinking in a way that makes you anxious, you're going to try to get some way to medicate yourself. And so a lot of the habits that people destroy their lives with and they can't quit, it's because they're sad and they want to feel better. Heart disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, infections. I said that. Inflammation is connected. Inflammation, all kinds of inflammations. It's connected with uh, depression and sadness. And of course, suicide. Suicide. That's definitely bad for your body. And all of that comes from allowing a dark thought to enter your mind. Now, sadness as a reaction to an unexpected sad event is normal and healthy. Jesus went over to Jerusalem and he wept. He was sad. There's nothing wrong with being sad because there are things that you ought to be sad about. Nothing wrong with saying, man, that's a shame, that's sad. But there is something wrong with saying sad. Perhaps you lost a child or lost a wife or lost a marriage or lost something. A lot of people are very sad, right? How many of you after the saints missed that tackle and we didn't go there? Come on. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. You needed therapy after that for two weeks. You're like, I can't even watch it. I can't watch it. <laughs> Come on. I just, the, the guy just missing that guy. It was just like the devil. I think it might have been a demon that did that, Mike. I'm not sure. But I, if you're not careful, a saints game can stick to you for three days. So don't talk to me. The saints lost. Just don't talk to me right now. But mom, we haven't had supper in two days. Just don't talk to me. The saints lost this week. And there's really nothing wrong with it. obviously being sad about things when you had your hopes up and you, you wanted to see something good happen. And sad, you have all kinds of opportunities to be sad. And it's, it's a normal human emotion. Jesus was sad. Many of the prophets were sad. Je, uh, David was sad. There are reasons God gave us this emotion because it's the proper reaction. Don't be one of those Christians who always pretend like you're never sad. That's bull. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. You're just faking. That's just a religious spirit. Brother, I'm on fire for God. Inside you're like, I'm not. I'm just lying because I think that's what people expect. It's, if you're sad, say, I'm just sad today. There's nothing wrong. It's not a sin to be sad because it's a natural reaction uh, to, sometimes to a stimulus. But here's something to remember. That you should, this is what uh, psychologists say. I don't have a lot of trust in them, but there's some things that they know. <laughs> you should put a two-week limit on grief, depression, and mental, or mental illness can creep in. You should put a two-week limit. If you're more than two weeks still sad, you're now entering to the ground of a mental illness. Now, they won't tell you that because they'll just say, Don't, just feel better. Listen, you got to rise up and fight. Now, that thing got on you. It's one thing to be honest say, I'm sad because of whatever, my wife and I or my kids. It's one thing to say, you know, it's okay to be sad. But when you get to the two-week and you're still sad, you're about to ruin your life. You're about to act and invite a illness that can be a part of the rest of your life you got to rise up and say that's enough all right I was sad that was okay to be sad but I'm going to get up now I'm going to rise up above this thing are you with me now I want you to take a walk with me from extreme depression and loss to extreme joy and victory it is a walk with on the Emmaus road and it's called, the, it's called the Emmaus Road uh, Walk because these two disciples of Jesus are walking down the road and they are just totally bummed out. 
And by the end of the walk, they're totally full of joy. How many want to take that walk? So I'm going to just, we're going to look at this walk because I want you to see in this, you can walk right out of your depression. You can walk right out of your situation. You can walk right out of those feelings, and you can walk right into joy. It's a little bit of a process. You've got to commit to the walk. But once you walk this walk, you're going to find that God is at the end of it. Are you with me? Now, if you're at Luke um, 24, 17, 34, 17 through 34 with me. It's a long reading, but we're going to take this walk. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Well, Jesus, Jesus enters into these, this situation in disguise, and he overhears them. What are they doing? Walking sad, talking sad, and thinking sad. Do you have a friend like that? Everything is sad. Everything's sad. It's, a, it's so hot outside. It's a sad day. Probably means there's going to be hurricanes this fall, right? Womp, womp. <laughs> the Debbie Downer syndrome. Womp, womp. And you're like, hey, man, how you doing? Not too good. You're like, oh, gosh, I didn't really want to know how you were doing. Now I got to hear all this. <laughs> I'm going to stop saying how you doing from now on. That's all I'm just going to say. Hey. <laughs> hey, see you. Got to go. <laughs> so Jesus walks up. Here's the condition of many Christians. Something bad happens. Now they're walking sad, thinking sad, talking sad. They now have a veil. They are, like I said a few weeks ago, now they are contaminated. Now they are tainted. Now they are stained with sadness. Everything is seen through the glasses of sad. They got the Eeyore complex. For me. For me. Everything goes wrong for me. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him. Now this is someone talking to, back to Jesus. Now Jesus is incognito, remember. He says, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened in these days? And he said, what things? Now I love, see, people make a case for their sadness. Don't you know why I'm sad? You know why? Doesn't everybody know? It's just terrible. Some people, you don't say it, but you've got your own little line about why you're sad too. You've got your own little explanation. You're keeping yourself captive to being sad with your own little explanation. And he's telling it to Jesus. I have to love that. Don't you know? He said, don't you understand? And Jesus said, what things? Listen, counseling yourself involves taking another look at the situation from another perspective. You have to step out and say, okay, what really am I sad about? I think the best counselor sometimes is your own self. So what am I really sad about? What is it that's really bothering me? And just ask the Holy Spirit to show you and look at it from someone else's perspective. Jesus has them talk about, tell me all your reasons that you're so sad. Don't listen to them. So they said to them, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. Listen to this. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Some people have an a, a extreme grip on the bad side, but they don't have any grip on the good side. 
They can tell you about the 400, they can tell you, excuse me, they can tell you about the leeks and onions that were in Egypt, but they can't tell you about the 400 years of bondage. And now they can tell you about all the terrible things that happened. They can tell you verbatim, but they can't tell you about the good things that are coming. Are you getting what I'm saying? This is what I would, I love this where it says, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. One of the difficult experiences that causes depression is disappointment. It is an attack on positive expectation. You don't get disappointed because of what happened. You get disappointed because of what you expected to happen. So the only way to not be disappointed is stop expecting something. And that's when people get depressed. They, you know, young people have this term because of the depression that many of them have back themselves into they don't want to be positive they don't want to talk about a great future so they back themselves in the corner and they say whatever some of you get a whatever spirit right under you come to church with a whatever spirit whatever pastor said i want to be blessed right whatever the girl danced about it whatever that's what happens when people get disappointed you didn't get old you just got disappointed Disappointed is stop expecting something. Real depression sets in when you stop expecting good. Hope, the word hope means a positive expectation. Disappointment, they said, man, we were expecting. We were expecting him to be everything. I just, we just believed a lie. I should have known better. This is the, the uh, root of depression is this idea of, I don't even want to try because I'm probably going to be disappointed again. I'm going to get out there because every time I try, I get disappointed. Why am I going to try? I can't try when I want to get married again, but I don't want to. I'll probably be disappointed. And when disappointment sets in, depression is rooted in your life. Listen, listen to what it says. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happen. And now listen to this. This is them going on with their argument why they're depressed. Yes, and certainly women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. In other words, on top of that, we got some horrible news. What was it? Well, they went to the tomb, and when they did not find his body, they came saying that he had a vision of angels who said he was alive. Oh, terrible news. It's just terrible. <laughs> like, I can imagine Jesus, who's alive right there, talking to him like, Okay, give me, that, give me that bad news again. Well, there's these women that went to the tomb. And when they went to the tomb, they just said that there was an angel sitting there. And the angel said that Jesus was risen. <laughs> you know how silly you are when you're sad? You just got to want to be that silly. Now you say, Pastor Ray, that's really not very nice. I'm just telling you the honest truth. You got to believe something dumb to be depressed. Now, here they are. Here's their evidence for being depressed, and it's the fact that Jesus was risen. That not only was he crucified, but there were some ladies that said he was risen from the dead. This is the heart of their argument for their depression. Listen, self-pity is a treacherous temptation. Now, I know a lot of you ladies, maybe single mothers, that have been through difficult times. Look, you know you can't even afford, you can't even afford to have self-pity in your life. Because you know what? I gotta feed those babies. I wanna just fall apart, but I can't. I had to set an appointment. 
I got to set an appointment for two weeks from now to fall apart because I can't. You know what I'm talking about? Because you don't really have to fall apart. You can't schedule it till later. Self-pity is, is the heart. Listen, Pastor Bray, don't be harsh with people. I'm not being harsh with people. I'm going to tell you something. You got to rise up out of that thing. You got to call it what it is. What's at the heart of it? You feel sorry for yourself. No, that's so mean. I'm just telling you the truth. I've been there. I know it. It's a, that's a perfect phrase, wallowing in self-pity. Because you're like, I just, I'm going to go eat worms. Poor me. I'm just going to quit the whole thing. Listen, that's exactly where the enemy wants you. See, when you get in a negative, you get a negative state of mind, even good news sounds like bad news. Jesus is risen. Oh, I can't believe you said that. The Saints won the Super Bowl. Oh, but next year they're probably going to lose all their players. Yeah, but we won. Yeah, but that's still next year. It means we're going to lose. You know what it's going to happen. Like, like you, can't, you can't talk to people when they made up their mind that they're addicted to their self-pity. It's more dangerous than you think it is. It, it comes to you, and it comes as a comforting, understanding friend. Oh, I know how you feel. That's how that spirit of heaviness is. I know how you feel. You know what? You just need to eat worms and die. You're right. Come on. It is. Nobody likes you. Nobody at that church likes you either. They think you look funny. They only like skinny people at that church. It comes as an understanding friend, and it robs you of all your strength. It robs you of all your hope. It robs you of all your objectivity. Suddenly, you're walking around like a zombie, all because you invited this friend called self-pity to come be your closest companion. Listen, you want to beat depression? You got to get rid of self-pity. Now, it's one of the things that aggravates you. You say, why are people treating me so? People understand when someone feels sorry for themselves. They feel it. And the, you, you want them to feel sorry for you, for you as well, but they, they've already been there. They don't want that. They got that T-shirt already. People know the sound of hope, and they know the sound when you start, you enter into, like, it's everything's terrible. Listen, maybe you went through a divorce. Nobody's going to marry you as long as you got that on you. But my last husband, he was terrible. <laughs> that guy's saying, I got to get out of here. <laughs> the minute if he sees self-pity on you he knows he's about to catch a whipping because depression doesn't make any sense it doesn't look at things logically it doesn't have any hope in it and when he when he sniffs it on you he's like i'm finding a woman who will not bring me down i'm already bad enough see you had dating advice today Listen to what they said. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels and said he was alive. Oh, this is their problem. That they had a vision of angels and they said he was alive. They're so sad. Listen, one of the great scriptures, it's so cliche, but it's one of the great scriptures in Romans 8. Say it with me. Say, and we know that all things are working together for good to those who love God. To those who are, let me say it. There it is right there. Let me read it. Don't be sad because you didn't know how to read the scripture. It's right there. <laughs> Come on, let's read it. And we know that all things work together for good. 
Come on, look at somebody work together for good. Look at somebody say, all things are not good, but all things are working together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Come on, wave your hand if you love God in this room. Come on, wave your hand if you're called according to his purpose. Come on, say, that's me. Everything is working out for my good. No matter what happens, it's working out for my good. Man, that's a powerful scripture. Certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and they found it just as the woman said, but, he, they did, but him they did not see. Oh, here he got more evidence. Some other people came and corroborated the women's statement, and this is another reason to be sad, and they didn't see him. If you're looking for a reason to be bummed out, the devil's about to give you one. If you're looking for a reason to be depressed, life is about to give you one. I don't care how many people are in in Hollywood with all the money and all the fame, and they shoot themselves. I saw that guy... um, He's really funny, guy with the blonde hair, feathery blonde hair, super funny guy, Owen Wilson. You would never think that this guy suffered terrible depression, almost killed himself, because he's as funny as a guy can be. But it doesn't matter how much money, depression is an equal opportunity killer. You can have all the money or none of the money. You can be in a, a, a mud hole in New Orleans on drugs and depressed, or you can be in, in the penthouse in New York City and be depressed and killing yourself. It really doesn't matter. When depression comes, you can find a reason to be depressed. You can look for a reason. You can see a reason. You can say, why well, life in general, all the white people, all the black people. Jesus came to give you life. You've got to recognize death when you hear it. Depression is death. It's not a friend. It's not a counselor. Depression is death. You got to rise up with all the might that's in you and confront it. And look, I'm not saying it's easy, but you got to make up your mind. The evidence in this situation suggests that there was an exciting report, but depression cannot see the truth. They presented the positive news as bad news. You get what I'm saying? Depression can't see the truth. You can say, God's for you. God's going to turn this thing around. Remember what God promised. You can tell him, like, I don't care. Listen, when you come under the influence of that, you can't see straight. You can't think straight. Are you with me? It's true. Look, if you live in Louisiana, you better learn how to overcome depression because this is a place with a history of racism, a history of poverty, a history of sickness. Guess what? That's not, t- that's not touching your life. Wave your hand and say, that's not touching my life. I'm not living under racism. I'm not living under poverty. I'm not living under sickness. I'm not living under failure. I don't live in Louisiana. I'm living in the kingdom of God. And up here, his will is done the same on earth as it is in heaven. I'm not living under that sad spirit. I'm not living under that heavy spirit. I came here to conquer. I came here to overcome. God gave me this moment in history, and this is the place I'm going to bloom. And certain of those, look, look, keep reading. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets and what they've spoken. Ought not Christ have suffered these things and entered into his glory? In other words, these things had to happen. You couldn't be who you're going to be if you didn't go through what you went through. Come on, somebody. 
God couldn't make you who you were going to be if you didn't walk through what you walked through. Don't feel sad about it. God knew about it. It didn't take him by surprise. He is not against you. He's for you. He's got a story already written with a happy ending for your life. At the beginning, at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now it came to pass... As he sat at the table with them, that he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. See, it's time for you to start seeing God in your situation. You need a moment, instead of thinking like, I'm just going through this alone. You know, God's been right there with you all along this walk. God's been walking with you the whole time. You just didn't know it with Jesus. You just have to have a moment of revelation that God never left you. He never forsook you. He's been right there with you every step of the way through this thing. He's got to open your eyes that everything's working out for your good. And then they said to one another, this is what it's like to be with Jesus. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. Look, they started off suicidal, depressed, walking on a road. They spend a moment with Jesus and they realize, wait, 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 wait. This may not be as bad as I thought. Wait a second. It's not just bad. It's awesome. Wait a second. This is the most wonderful moment in my life. Wait a second. I was just looking at it wrong. Let me pull something out for you in the next couple of moments so you can take this home. Everybody say, act. I want to break this into two things. I'm not going to preach it. I want you, I want you to access freedom. If you're looking for someone to feel sorry for you, that's not what Jesus does. Jesus picks you up and pulls you out of that thing. And says, no, no, we're not doing that anymore. We're not thinking like that. We're not talking like that. We're not walking like that. I'm going to grab you. We're going to get above this thing. You didn't come to church to learn how to cope with depression. You came to church to get rid of depression, to get rid of sadness, to get rid of that thing, to rise above it. Everybody say act. Act. Number one. Let's take this walk apart. First is act, action. Become active. You say, Pastor Bray, that's, that is uh, just too simple. Well, we found out this about these boys. They took a walk. I'm going to tell you something. You start feeling depressed, you need to stop. Get off that couch. Get off that couch. Get some tennis shoes on. Go to the gym. Go walk down the road. Run down the road. You feel, start feeling depressed. Look, I can tell you, you need to... One of the worst things you can do is just sit there. They walk down the road. Act. Listen to me. You've got to think clear in order to normalize your emotions. One of the ways we learn to think clear, we just get active. Listen, you want to fight off depression? Get going. Get up. Get up from in front of that couch. Get out from in front out of that bed. Get out of that situation. Turn the lights on. Turn the fans on. Get out on the street. Start moving again. Get active again. You say, I can't believe that you're even saying that. It's too simple. No, it's not too simple. That's what they did. They took a walk. Passivity is the path to the dark side. 
write it down. Passivity is the path to the dark side. Take a walk. Take a walk. There's a story. There was a depressed professor, and he had had a couple of heart attacks, and the doctor said, you can't move strenuously or you're going to die. He was so depressed, he, he hatched a plan. He said, I'm going to kill myself. He said, I'm going to do it by taking a run. So he got up, and he got, put his shoes on. He took a run, and he, he ran about a half a block, and his heart gave out, and he fell down. He blacked out. He thought he died, but he woke back up and said, heck, I'm going to try it again tomorrow. Then he tried to get true story. Then he tried it again. He said, I'm going to kill myself. He ran a mile, passed out, blacked out. He woke up and said, I didn't kill myself. Let me try it again. Fourth day, fifth day, he kept trying to kill himself. Pretty soon he was running four miles and said, wait a second, I don't feel that bad. Wait a second, I don't even want to kill myself. He started running five miles a day and found out that being passive and dormant was his depression. Get up. Now, see, that's advice that does you no good unless you do it. Number two, connection. He got with a friend and walked. And he walked with Jesus. Connection. Connection is the secret of processing pain. You know what depression says? Get away from people. Depression says isolate yourself. How many suicides were done in a group? Not that many. Most of them were the result of people getting isolated. And you hadn't seen them for two weeks. That's when people off themselves. Because they isolate themselves. I don't care if you feel like it or you don't right now. If you're listening to me on a podcast, I don't care if you don't feel like being around people. Just get on that phone, call somebody, get with somebody, hang around with somebody. It could save your life. You need to get back connected. You need to reconnect with people. Get in a life group. Get with some good, positive friends and get where Jesus is. Don't live in the darkness. Isolation is the path to the dark side. Isolation is a strategy of the enemy. They walked and they processed with Jesus. They got active and they started thinking right. Jesus started saying, hey, it's not what you think it is. Let me, let me give you a, a, a great help in your conquest of depression. It's never as bad as you think it is. It's never as good as you think it is either. But it's never as bad as you think. Just write it down. It's not as bad as I think it is. See, sometimes you just need a nap. Sometimes you just, you just need to take a little vacation and back off. There's nothing wrong. Look at somebody and say, there's nothing wrong with you. Don't let those doctors lie to you. Don't let your friends lie to you and say you'll never get, you are going to get over this thing. You are going to rise above this thing. Get connected with the right people. Get connected with Jesus. Now, then my last thing is this. I said act, right? That was C, connect, connection. What was the first one? Action. Number two, connection. And number three is the most important, truth. Confusion is the path to the dark side. I don't know why. I just can't think. I don't know why. I can't think. I just don't know why. Why did that happen? Why? Stop asking why. Stop it. Let me tell you something. In this story, one thing it tells us is facts are not the truth. Listen to me again. Facts are not the truth. Truth makes you free. Facts can put you in the jail. Truth is more powerful than the facts. 
Stop laying out the facts of why your life has been hard and why you can't make it and why everything's going against you. Stop laying out the facts. Start laying out the truth. If God is for you, who can be against you? If God is on your side, who can defeat you? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. God's word spoken to us is the quickest and simple way to move from sadness to gladness. I'm going to say it again. God's word, you know all you need? You need a word from God. God's word spoken to us is the quickest path from sadness to gladness. You don't need somebody. You don't need something. You need a word from God. Come on, wave your hands. You believe what I'm saying. God is with you. God is for you. God's word will help you switch out those facts for the truth. I love Nehemiah. We're gonna uh, we're gonna pray right now because you know ultimately it's the anointing that destroys the spirit of heaviness. The Bible says, "Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness." You got to have a swap. You're either praising or you're whining. Which one? You're either praising God for how awesome he is and how good he's been and all the opportunities you have. Come on, somebody. Or you're whining about all that you don't have and all you wish you had and all that you've been through. Stop talking about what you've been through. Talk, start talking about what you're going to. You're about to go to something great. You're about to enter into something awesome. Forget about the past. You can't change it. I love Nehemiah. They finished building the wall. They read the scripture after they rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem. It was a great day. And they read the scriptures, and the people all started whining. <laughs> and everybody was like, oh, look, there's an anointing of heaviness from the Lord. Nehemiah got up and said, give me the microphone. He said, stop crying. They're like, I said stop crying. He said, this is not a time to cry. This is a time to rejoice. And then he said a famous thing. What does he say? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Come on, say it again. Say it with me. Say the joy of the Lord is my strength. Show me a man without any joy. I'll show you a man without any strength. Nehemiah said, hey, stop crying and rise up and start rejoicing because your strength comes from your praise. Your strength comes from your joy i got to finish with this. I know I'm a couple minutes late. Are you okay? Say it with me. Say there are more for us than against us. Elijah, 2 Kings chapter 6. I won't go into it, but you know that you can read it for yourself. Verse 14. Elijah, God is telling him all of the king of Syria's plans. And every time they have a plan, God tells Syria how Israel can um, cope. And the king says, look, man, which one of you is a spy from Israel? And the guy said, None of us are spies, but whatever you say in your bedroom, God tells to, uh, to that prophet, and he tells Israel. And he said, well, let's go get him. And he sent armies and horses to surround the little house where Elijah lived. And he sat in that house. And his servant said, boss, you got to look at something. And Elijah walked out, and he was completely surrounded by the enemy. And that servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? It was one against thousands, tanks, armies, soldiers all around this one man of God. He stood there. That's you. And his servant said, look, we got trouble. What are we going to do? This is what Elijah said. 
He answered said, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Come on, somebody. He said, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that they might see. And the Lord opened his eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elijah. Today, you just need your eyes open to find out that there are more for you than there are against you. Come on, somebody say, this is how I fight my battle. Now, look, we're going to put an end to depression. You're going to bring it today to this altar, and you're going to leave it here. We're going to sing a simple little song, and you're going to lift your hands, and you're going to rejoice, and you're going to say, from now on, this is how I fight.